0: You know, this uh, past couple of weeks, as we kind of announced that we are, go- are going to be moving, that 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 our time in this space is coming to a close, that that has been really exciting for me. Uh, for those of you who've come to me already and said, "Hey." Mark, here's, here's a check to get the, the ball rolling. I know that, you know, it's going to cost money to move and, and eventually the, the, the larger vision of, of finding a, a place where we no longer have a landlord and we have something that we own and we can just focus solely on ministry. For those of you who have come to me and I've been comp- very humbled by people coming to me and saying, hey, Mark, you know what? I'm going to come back early from uh, uh, FSU break, and I'm going to you know invest my Christmas break to help prepare uh, the church for the six. That I you know I've had people come to me, several people saying I'm going to take vacation time to to do that. I've had so many different conversations with people, just asking them you know the question, you know do you know will you participate? Are you in? Are you? Uh, will you sacrifice? You know, buying something in order to invest in the future of our community. Will you sacrifice maybe some uh, vacation time in order to help us prepare and be ready for uh, and, ma- and make this move? Will you? Uh, Invest some of your talents, which so many people have, have done, people who know property, people that know facilities, architects, just, you know, uh, doing different things so we can all come together and, and be able to be prepared for the next chapter in the life of our church. You know, it's been really interesting. I've had many conversations and, and asking people really for a yes, to, to what I believe God has called our community to do, but I would be lying to you if I've received, you know, a yes every time I've asked. And But that really comes down to what life really is, is, is trying to determine what to say yes to and what to say no to. In fact, if you distill down just how we got here today, that, that it, it, we are here today as as a result of the many yeses and nos that we have given leading up to this moment. It's one of, it's two of the first words that we learn, uh, either verbally or just with our, our head gestures. Uh, my good family, our friends, uh, uh, the the. The Thompson family, they adopted a, a little girl named Elise a year ago, almost a year ago, and next week she'll be one year, year uh, old, and and, and she can communicate yes and no very well. You know, that, that, that it's one of the first things we as humans kind of like we learn how to, how to let, you know, people know our wants and our needs and, and our desires, that uh, just Going along, like every single day of every moment, we are faced with yes and no questions. Every morning, we wake up and, and we're faced with a question, you know, will I get up and go to work or school or, or do my responsibilities or no, will I not? It's a yes or no question. You know, when we go downstairs, or at least in my house, go downstairs, maybe you know, it's across, you know, into your kitchen, you know, we're faced with a question, you know, am I, am I going to eat a chocolatey ho-ho for breakfast, or am I going to eat oatmeal? Now, it, it's a yes or no question, you know, what, what am I going to eat? Here's one, you know, uh, do you say, yes, I am going to be aware of others I am in community with, not only my church community, but just out there in life? Am I going to be aware of their of their well-being? Am I going to be aware that somebody wants to merge when they really shouldn't be allowed to? Will I slow up and let them in? Or will I give them the number one sign, right? You know, these are, these are questions. That am I going to say yes to being aware of the needs of the people around me? How about this one? When the world is saying hey, you know, not want you to go into debt this Christmas season or, or I want you to behave in a way that, that does not resemble an ambassador of God or your family. Will you say yes to the world or will you say no? I will not comply with your vision for my life. I will not comply with going into debt. I will not comply with, with all the hustle and the bustle and I am going to focus on relationships. Will you say essentially yes to Christ saying, you know what, I'm going to focus on you no matter what the cost, that I am going to put the value of my relationship with you and my relationship with others above all other things. I mean, we're constantly faced with these questions that we have to answer either verbally or just with our heart, our soul, our mind, or, or our strength. You know, yes or no. Yes, I'm in. No, I'm out. In the Bible, there's two really good illustrations of one no and one yes. Two stories, one with a no and one with a yes. The first one is the no. And it's found in Mark chapter 10. You may want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And It begins this way in verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question, right? Especially, you know, it's the right question for the right guy. I mean, we always want to ask the right question to the right guy. Well, he, he's nailed it here. You know, the, the, this guy runs up and he's obviously excited, right? He runs up and he kneels down and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies this way. It's interesting. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now, the next part is entirely how you read it and how much of a pause that you put in. You could just continue reading, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You could do that, but I'm not sure that that's actually how it happened because Jesus asked a question here, right? He asked the question, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And it would be very rude of Jesus to just keep on talking and unusual, right, to ask a question and not wait for the answer. What I think is going on here actually is what happened is Jesus makes this uh, um, allusion to his deity, right? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Essentially, he's giving them the opportunity to say, you're good because... You're the Messiah. But apparently the guy didn't pick that up, right? You know, maybe Jesus paused for one second. Maybe he paused for five seconds. Who knows how long he paused? But obviously the man did not pick up on what he was saying. So Jesus continues, says, but to answer your question, here he switches from Messiah to rabbi, essentially. He understands that the guy's not approaching him as a messiah, but he's approaching him as the rabbi. And he switches to a rabbi and he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And at this point, the guy interrupts. Because he wasn't done, that's not ten, right? It's definitely not six hundred and thirteen, which is the entire law of Moses. And essentially what's going on here, at least in my mind, is it happens all the time when I'm I'm teaching. Whenever I start talking about the Great Commandment, oh, you must love your God with all of your heart, all of your soul. All of you, you go, got it. Right? But do you really? No. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean it's it's like when we've heard things again and again and again. Perhaps this rich young ruler is saying, Look, I got it. And then he says, This teacher, the man replies, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young, but he still doesn't know about eternal life. He's got the religion down. I've obeyed all these things, but 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 good teacher, rabbi, I'm still empty. I still do not have the fulfillment. So what's going on? And it's weird at this at this point. Jesus now turns from rabbi back to Messiah. In verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He understands. He's saying he he feels his, his hurt. In fact, this is the very reason that Jesus came in the first place. He loved the man. He loved him so much that he left his perfect relationship with his father in order to come and be the revelation of the world to show them the path back to God. And with this great love, he says, look, there's still one thing you haven't done. And it's very interesting what he does next. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. That's very bizarre, right? He asks the question, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus is all wealthy guy. You need to sell everything. And if that was the end of the story we'd be all very complexed. We wouldn't really understand. Maybe our connection would be there's a direct correlation of how much money I have and my relationship with God. And perhaps there is, but that is not the larger point here. Because Jesus does not stop there. He continues on and says, then come and follow me. You see, what Jesus is, he is not asking this guy to change his social or economic status. What Jesus is doing is inviting him into relationship with him. And because Jesus is God, he can see that this money has become burdensome to him, is really the source of his emptiness. This guy, his wrapped his whole life around saying, you know what, I've got this religion thing down and I got all this money, but still he comes running to this Messiah, comes running to this rabbi and kneels and says, even though I have religion and even though I have all this money, I am still empty. How do I inherit the kingdom of heaven and eternal life? And what Jesus says is, look, you got to get rid of your religion and you got to get rid of your money and you need to just be in relationship with me. So he asked him a question, not in words, but really indeed in conversation. Do you want to be in relationship with me or do you want to continue with the emptiness that you've experienced your whole life, the emptiness of religion and the emptiness of wealth? And this is how he answers. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. See, Jesus isn't talking about money. He's not talking about wealth. He's not talking about about religion he's talking about relationship and he's talking about being reunited and reorienting our priorities or his priorities to having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people and sadly he drops his head and he says no and walks away Okay, there's a sad story. Now let's get to a happy story, right? Before we all start crying. Okay, this is a cool story. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. There's no walls there. He walked right in, right? (laughs) Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Okay, hey, don't be like the young rich guy and go, I got the Zacchaeus story down. Now let's keep with me. He was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. Okay just to set the story, set the stage for this story. I have always heard this story kind of interpreted this way. Zacchaeus was a Jewish guy, but Zacchaeus uh, chose money over being a child of God, being part of his Jewish community. And he lied and he, he cheated all for the money. And because of that, he became exiled. Essentially, he said no to his Jewish community and he said yes to the Roman Empire so he could say yes to wealth. This narrative has been reiterated again and again and again. But let me pose a question for you. What if it wasn't Zacchaeus who said no? What if it was the Jewish community that said no to him. In verse 3, we are told that he was very short. The Greek word there is helikia. And helikia actually carries with it two um, different or actually three very distinct meanings. The first one is definitely referring to somebody's stature. Yeah, he was a short guy, and there's pretty much no doubt that, that Zacchaeus was unusually short. Many scholars believe he was a dwarf. But another uh, reading of that word is also that he was childlike. And also this word in Scripture is used metaphorically as, as being, you know, stunted in growth as far as uh, emotional or physical or, or spiritually. In fact, in our language, we would use this helikia as, uh, as being too short or stunted as, you know, in, in an insult to somebody who we think is an idiot, right? We would call them a mental midget. It's not a nice thing to say. It's insulting on, on many levels. But just so you have an understanding of how this Greek word is used, Helichia, that that is referring to different things. There's different levels of the story going on. So, but in any circumstance that we know that, that Zacchaeus had come to a place of isolation, that he was outside of his community, that, that he was Helikia in physical stature, but also Helicia in a spiritual and emotional sense too. And who among us have not experienced that at one time in our lives or not? A time where we are outcast because of one thing or another, because of how we look or how we speak or maybe our perceived intelligence or our wealth or something like that. That, that they are, we are set, we have been set aside and maybe put into exile. And think about that culture and think about that time. And perhaps there was nothing more that Zacchaeus wanted ex- than to be part of community, but his community told him no. And he turned to the only thing that would say yes to him, and that was the Roman Empire and this life outside of his community, but also being able to still be in the community. I believe that this is the the case with Zacchaeus, and this is the reason why. Because we all know how the story progresses. When he heard the Messiah was coming through, when he heard Jesus was coming through, he didn't sit at home and count his money. What did he do? He went to go see Jesus. I could almost think in his mind he was all like, you know what, the people of God has, have rejected me, but surely God himself will accept me, accept me as a dwarf, accept me as being different, accept me even though my community has exiled me. Maybe today my circumstance is going to change And I think that this was an act of desperation because he comes and he he gets to the crowd and like so many times before, he cannot see and no one says yes to allowing him to go forward. Once again, he is reminded that he is an exile, that he is not welcome in the community of God. But desperation, he probably said, today is going to be different. And if today doesn't change, you know what? Maybe there will not be tomorrow. I don't know his mind, but I know desperate people. So what does he do? He climbs a tree in a toga. Right? He climbs a tree. Could you imagine... You know, some prestigious, rich person not being invited to the front row, not in the blue ribbon section or, or whatever, but to be so shunned, to be so exiled that they would have to climb a tree just to catch a glimpse. And I think that this was such an important yes or no question in Zacchaeus's life. It changed everything. Zacchaeus was like, you know what? Here's my choice. I can be ridiculed even more and climb this tree in my toga for just the very chance of taking having a glimpse of the Son of God. Or I can go home and tomorrow is going to be the same as it has always been. So he climbs that tree. And in verse 5, we're told, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. I bet he hadn't been called Zacchaeus in a long time. I'm sure he's called a lot of other things, but Zacchaeus was probably not one of them. Names are such an important thing. Names are a powerful thing. When we hear our name, something happens inside us that, that changes us. I can't do it for everybody, but Janice. I knew you would hate that the most out of everybody here. But you felt something. There's something about hearing your name. And it's insulting or, or, or hurtful when somebody doesn't remember your name, right? Or calls you something that isn't your name. There's a guy at the gym. I see him all the time. He calls me cowboy. I do not own a cowboy hat. I do not own cowboy boots. I have never wrestled or rustled or whatever cattle, <laughs> wrestled cattle. I have never browned it, branded anything. I am not a cowboy. A cowboy would kill me if they met me. I don't know why he calls me cowboy. He calls me cowboy. I want to punch him in the face. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus, Jesus didn't come down and look in the tree and say, hey, cowboy. No, he calls him his name. How shocking that must have been. All these people and the Messiah, the Son of God. And think about what led up to it. He's outcast. He's desperate. He's not sure if there's going to be a tomorrow. Today is all that matters. This one moment when a prophet or a Messiah was going to be walking by. That somehow that him just being able to see him was going to change things. And never in his wildest dreams, I believe that he would have thought that The Messiah would stop and turn and say his name, but that's not where Jesus ended. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be in your home today. There's a little known Greek word that Zacchaeus said at this moment. He said, Jesus, what? Jesus, what? Me, Zacchaeus, did I hear my name right? You want me to come to my home? Jesus said he's coming to my home. I'd start thinking, what'd I leave out? (laughs) Jesus, what? You want to come to my home? So Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his home with great excitement and joy. And at this point, when he comes down the tree, the world does what the world always does. Starts to ridicule and condemn and try to pull Zacchaeus back from his Lord, from his Savior, from the Messiah, and to put him back where the world has envisioned him to be, to be an excommunicated dwarf. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. You see, Zacchaeus said yes to climbing the tree. He said yes to coming back down the tree. And he said yes to Jesus going to his house. And at this point, the chains are breaking off of Zacchaeus. And he is beginning to soar. And with people all around him in verse 7, so displeased... And they're mad with Zacchaeus, and they're even madder at Jesus. They're all he's going to be a, the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. But all, all this is going on. In verse 8, meanwhile, Zacchaeus is soaring. He stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Jesus didn't even mention anything about wealth in this story. Zacchaeus just by the encounter with the one true living God realizes that, you know what? Some of this money is holding me back from soaring. He says, look, I'm going to give half of it. I'm not giving all, but I'm going to give half to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, if, you know, I have always heard he did cheat people. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he says, look, if I have This is what repentance looks like. If I have, if there's any chance, I want my conscience clear and I will give four times the amount to anybody. At this moment, I visualize Zacchaeus kind of just uh, growing wings and like an eagle soaring and flying over the crowd and the crowd is trying to cage that eagle from soaring and that eagle just releasing all of the garbage he's ingested his whole life and soaring with God and leaving everyone left to their misery and their preconceived notion of how life should be, who he should be, and who they are. And this is the power that a yes can have. And in verse 9, Jesus responds when he sees Zacchaeus soaring. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Not the rest of the people on the side of the road. But Zacchaeus. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I love both of these stories because it illustrates how powerful our decisions are, how powerful our yeses and how powerful our nos are. And in this Christmas season, we are constantly bombarded with images and companies trying to lure us in to say yes. And I'm not saying that that's bad or evil or anything like that. Don't pick up on that. But many businesses rely on a person's immaturity to say no. While churches rely solely on a person's maturity to say yes. It's just the way it is. There's... There's no Black Sunday or Black Friday kind of uh, lines. You know, nobody's, you know, putting up tents in order to, to you know, get the first, be able to be the first person to serve someone or to, to sacrifice. It's just not how it works. It comes down to what do we say yes and what do we say no to. And I can tell you that there is not a long line For people who want to say yes to God. But I hope that we are different. So today, like every day, I'm asking you to say yes. I'm gonna I'm asking you to say yes, I'm in for the future of of our church as we go out and we want to make and mature. Fully devoted followers of Christ, immobilized, fully devoted followers of Christ. I'm not saying that you have to say yes. I'm not saying saying yes to our church is the equivalent of saying yes to Christ. But what I am saying is it may be the equivalent of a tree. It may be the equivalent of taking a proactive step and saying yes I'm in, I believe that this place and this church is ordained by God in this place and this time to present the gospel in a meaningful and understandable way to people. Today, I'm asking you to say, yes, I'm in to what God is doing in our church and through our church. I am asking you to say, yes, I am in by being generous with your time and your talents and your money. I wouldn't ask you if I didn't believe that this church had such an important mission. But I believe the next chapter of E3 is going to require generosity, is going to require us to say yes to some things and no to others. And that's where wisdom comes in. want you to say, yes, I'm in to to making this place, our church, not this space, stable to move into the future. Yes, I'm in to better, you know, to make us better facilitate ministry. Saying, yes, I'm in to give us room to grow, not only just in our corporate gathering space, our worship space, but room to grow for our kids and our the events and as a community. And room to grow for the 21st century equivalent of Zacchaeus. You know, a lot of people have already said they're in. And I've contacted a lot of people and, and I'm going to be contacting a lot of more people. But you know what's exciting for me? And many people here have already done this, have come to me or Carl or somebody on staff and saying, look, I'm in and I am, I am pattering my life to be available in an extra way during this time, either with time or money or talents. It's all coming, uh, coming together and it's going to be an amazing time in the life of E3. And really what it comes down to is discernment and prayer. Of what is God calling you to? Is this the place and is this the community that God has called you to partner with in being the tangible hand of Christ? The question isn't if you're the, not, if you're part of this community, the question is not if, you know, you're in, but it's how much. How much time are you willing to give? How much, you know, each and every person here has a unique talent or gifts or experiences. And some have been entrusted with resources too. And it's going to take all of us using what God has entrusted to us in order to take this next step in the way that I believe that God wants us to.